In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. The third petition. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What does this mean? The good and gracious will of God is done indeed without our prayer, but we pray in this petition that it may be done among us also. How is this done? When God breaks and hinders every evil counsel and will of the devil, the world, and our flesh, and strengthens and preserves us steadfast in his word and faith unto our end. This is his gracious and good will. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Several weeks ago, we switched our colors from white to violet and stopped singing Alleluia. We do this every year during the season of Lent as a way to express that we have entered a time of repentance and self-denial before Easter. This year, we started this tradition a few weeks early. We changed our colors and omitted our alleluias on Septuagesima. As we learned then, and I hope you all recall, this is actually the most, much older and more meaningful tradition. The 40 days of Lent commemorate our fathers and mothers wandering in the wilderness for 40 years after crossing the Red Sea and before they entered the Promised Land. And this itself is a foreshadowing of what Jesus fulfilled when he fasted and was tempted in the wilderness for 40 days after he was baptized and before he prepared our way back to our heavenly homeland by defeating the devil. Do you see the beautiful symbolism and foreshadowing? I hope you do. This is why we emphasize repentance, self-denial, and Christian instruction during Lent. By starting early and increasing these 40 days to 70, as I said, is a very ancient custom, we also commemorate the 70 years that the children of God spent in Babylon. It is Lent right now, but we also so happen to be right in the middle of our original 70 days of Septuagesima. So it's fitting that we do some review. God, in his wisdom, permitted the wicked nation of Babylon to conquer Jerusalem, destroy the temple, and carry his chosen people off as captives to a faraway land. As we heard several weeks ago, the punishment was just and poetic. You want to love the world more than you love my word? Then you go ahead and get what you want. Take them away, world. Maybe they'll learn something. God let his world-loving people be taken captive by the God-hating world for 70 years in Babylon before he permitted them to return and rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. If the 40 days of Lent teach us to remember the 40 years of wandering and to find strength and consolation in Christ who overcame where our forefathers and we ourselves have failed, well then, the 70 days from Septuagesima to Easter teach us to remember that we are in the world. But we are not of the world. We are in Babylon, but we are children of Zion. In both cases, 
We are reminded both of our need to repent of our many sins and of our need to turn to Jesus for mercy and hope. Our Lenten wandering brings us to the wilderness where there is nothing but the devil. Jesus faced him for us. Our Septuagesima captivity, which we are also in the midst of, emphasizes the danger of the wicked world we live in. Jesus has overcome the world. Today we consider in the third petition of the Lord's Prayer, how we ask God to break and hinder every evil counsel and will of both the devil and the world. But with such a prayer, it is vitally important that we also ask God to break and hinder every evil counsel and will of our own flesh as well, so that we might also face the devil and overcome, so that our faith too, might gain victory over the world. Only with Jesus. I couldn't help but think during last Wednesday's excellent sermon on the second petition of the Lord's Prayer, Thy Kingdom Come, of how this theme of the Babylonian captivity was very appropriately treated somewhat and brought back into our consideration. How fitting that we consider it again this evening. There is the kingdom of the world. It is the devil's kingdom. He is the prince of this world. He deceives and mistreats and fails in all of his promises. He hates God. His only way to hurt God is to convince the people God loves not to fear, love, and trust God for all of his benefits. In the kingdom of the world, the devil rules hearts and minds according to his wicked will. And then there is the kingdom of God's grace. This is the church. She speaks the truth that she receives from Christ. Like Christ, she is mistreated and scorned. But her prince is the prince of peace. She has peace in the midst of persecution. And the promises of Christ all come true. In the kingdom of grace, Jesus rules our hearts and minds according to his holy will. The kingdom of this world, as we heard in the stirring and worthy to be read by all of us again, out loud if you can, account from Revelation 18 from last week. The kingdom of this world is represented by Babylon. Babylon is a harlot. She is identified by her commerce and luxury and pomp. She promises pleasure and honor, and in the moment while it lasts... She is able to keep this promise long enough to seduce unguarded souls into her cold embrace. But all her commerce, all her luxuries, all her pomp and pride and beauty and youth and power, all of it will certainly come to a humiliating and sudden end. In an hour, it will all be shown to be nothing. All that will remain will be God's judgment upon her. The kingdom of God's grace, on the other hand, is depicted as a chaste and beautiful bride. As we just heard from the very next chapter, Revelation 19, she is beautiful. She is herself the kingdom of God's grace on earth because she is where God bestows all his grace. He is her head. 
and she is his body. He cleanses her in his own blood. He clothes her in his own righteousness. He honors her and speaks well of her and even praises and boasts in her and commands the angels to serve her. He loves her children. She is the mother of us all, the heavenly Jerusalem, the holy Christian church. We rise up and call her blessed. We honor her who gave us life. We honor him who made her our mother by giving us new birth through water and the word by which he first cleansed her and made her beautiful. We honor and praise him by confessing the blessings of our new birth and holy baptism. And when we acknowledge and honor our mother, the holy church, we do so by confessing the love that Christ has for her to cleanse her from all her sin and make her a very fruitful vine. The life of the church, the life the church gives to each Christian, is the life that Christ gives her. She is his wife. She is the wife of the Lamb. When Babylon the harlot falls and all her vile and putrid diseases and sores and filthy lies are exposed for all angels and souls of men to be repulsed by, then the Lamb who alone is worthy to open the seals and reveal the hidden mysteries of God's holy will, then he alone who is our Savior and advocate and the head of his church will honor his church. He will present her to himself for all the blessed to love and for all the damned to hide their faces in shame at her surpassing beauty. She will no longer be known as his kingdom of grace, for we will no longer be sinners, no longer ever sad, no longer in danger of pain or threatened by any temptation. Young and healthy forever, we will be perfected and glorious. The church will no longer be God's kingdom of grace, but God's kingdom of glory. Life will be eternal and pure and bliss forever. All tears will be dried. And Jesus Christ, God's Son, our Lord and Savior, like a good husband who loves the children of his wife, he will grant his church to be clothed in fine linen, clean and bright, fine linen, even on top of her already pure and holy dress of righteousness, washed in his own blood, Even on top of this, his own righteousness in which she is clothed by faith in the gospel, even on top of this, will be the clean linen that consists in, did you notice? Consists in all her children's righteous works. Think of that. All her children who rest from their labors, that will be us. And their works do follow them. Yea, saith the Spirit. She will be wearing them. The whole church in heaven will be decked in all the kindnesses that we ourselves perform towards the least of Jesus' brethren on earth. She will be wearing these works as something that her husband and children's father is very proud of. The church militant will become the church triumphant. The church victorious will be the church at rest. The kingdom of grace will be the kingdom of glory forever. Oh, it is such a beautiful image, and it pervades all of Scripture. 
It is the image of chastity and health versus the gussied up image of a deceitful harlot. It is the stark comparison between Babylon the Great, who has fallen, and the great beauty of the Holy Christian Church, against whom the gates of hell cannot prevail. Alleluia. The glory and pleasure of Babylon are fake. She's nasty. When her end comes, she will be revealed as nasty and filthy and with nothing more to say than spittled out curses that will fade away forever from our hearing as she sinks into the deepest hell, removed from our happy memory forever, and the smoke will rise for eternity. Alleluia. This is the end of the world. But this is not our end. Our end is to be like Christ, to be with Christ, to be with all who have loved him. Our end, our goal, which has no end, is to know him even as he already knows us. He knows our sin. We will praise him who suffered and died for them. He knows our sin no more and now knows us only as holy and righteous by faith in his promises. We will praise him for this great kindness with never-ending alleluias. I warned on Septuagesima as we began our self-imposed exile of sorts into Babylonian captivity that although we lay aside our alleluias for 70 days that one or two might slip in. Well, how wonderful today as we consider the good and gracious will of God, that a total of four alleluias were exclaimed in our lesson from Revelation 19, and that I've said it a few times since. Alleluia. It is fitting. Breaking the rules during Lent. Alleluia. Praise the Lord. For how can we fast while the bridegroom is with us? And he is with us this very hour, where two or three are gathered in his name. How can we not sing the songs of Zion while the Lord Jesus comforts us, with his mercy. And he is doing so right now in the hearts of all those who hear the gospel right now in true faith. Soon after our lesson from Revelation ended, we would have heard the name which Christ has written on his thigh, King of kings and Lord of lords, and he shall reign forever and ever. Alleluia. You know the song. The world is evil. We combat the world by considering, even if we have to lay aside alleluias for a while, considering how the praise of the Lord triumphs over it. His victory over our sin, death, and a bad conscience is what overcomes the world. The world is evil. Heaven is wonderful. God sends everything evil to hell forever. God brings us to heaven by forgiving us our sins. Jesus suffered hell and shed his blood to make full satisfaction, full atonement for all evil that we have ever thought, spoken, or done. Indeed, for the very corruption into which we were born. The world is evil because it's filled with sinners like you and like me. Sinners go to hell. Only saints go to heaven. Saints are holy. Another word for make holy is sanctify. We heard on Sunday from 1 Thessalonians 4 that this is the will of God, our sanctification. Now we hear the word sanctification 
And we think primarily of our good works, our new obedience, right? Well, we should. We should think of these. God has called us to be holy, to flee fornication, both the carnal type and the lofty spiritual type that the harlot of Babylon would lead us into. As we've already heard, it is, in fact, the righteous acts of the holy saints that clothe the church in heaven. But when we think of God's will, we should be careful not to think primarily of God wanting us to behave and be good. The will of God often contradicts what we want. What God wants often stands in conflict with what we want. And sometimes it feels like God must be punishing us for what we know not what. What God wants is not for us to perfect ourselves, straighten up. What he wants is for us to repent so that he might work these good things in us. He wants us to repent. God's will is not primarily our good works desperately accomplished here on earth. No, what he wants is not primarily that we focus on noble ethics and party-pooping rules. Our works follow us, after all. They do not lead us. Our righteous acts are to the glory of Christ and his church, not to our own glory. So no, God's will is primarily his desire to have mercy on us and to keep us steadfast in his word and faith unto our end. God's will is to rescue us from the destruction of Babylon, of the world, and of our own lusts, and to bring us to heaven. As Jesus prayed, take them not out of the world, Holy Father, but keep them from the evil one. Sanctify them by thy truth. Thy word is truth. In order to do this for his ancient people, who loved the world too much and wandered from his word, God brought them to Babylon to see the end of the things their hearts desired. The end of the world's promises is slavery and destruction and eternal sorrow. God thus taught them to sigh and long for heaven. And so he teaches us. And so we prepare to be taught during the 70 days of exiles and the 40 days of wandering. We sigh for the privilege again to sing Alleluia with cleansed hearts when we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord, whose life is ours. We sigh to be freed from sin, judgment, and from the nagging temptations that pull us away from God's word and tempt us into treasuring worldly honor and wealth and pleasure more. And we do. We're worldly. Long before we can be exiled into Babylon, and long after we may return, departing in peace, God knows, and we must too, that we have Babylon in our hearts. What we want is worldly. What we want hurts us. We want to conveniently make time for God's word where it fits into our lives. But this is like making room for the temple in Babylon. What God wants for you is better. We want to accumulate riches and put our confidence in our retirement and leisure than act like we have fulfilled some obligation to heaven when we pay passing homage to our soul's greatest need. 
God wants for us to want what he wants for our souls. Our wills are always negotiating, doing commerce, seeking to buy and sell. Our will and desire is always to seek leisure and rest by Babylonian standards. God help us. And he does. He does by fulfilling heavenly standards and bearing our sin on the cross. He does by crushing our sinful wills in the gentlest way. He promises that he who loses his life will find it. He lays crosses on us that we would otherwise never choose for ourselves so that we might say the Lord has given, the Lord has taken. Blessed be the name of the Lord who gives me everything back in heaven. He trains us and teaches us that the reason the, reason the devil and the world are going to hell is because of what they want and that it's evil. And he shows us this by revealing that what we want is evil. God wants our sanctification. God wants to bring us to heaven. God wants us to believe in Jesus who takes us there. So he teaches us to want to hear his word. He teaches us to want his Holy Spirit. He teaches us to ask for what he will never deny us. Thy will be done. And we dare to pray this to pray it even against our own sinful desires and will. We dare to pray this from the bottom of our hearts because with this prayer, God hallows his name for us by giving us his holy word. With this prayer, God's kingdom comes to us by graciously giving us his Holy Spirit. And by this prayer, God teaches us to want what he wants mo most, our soul's salvation and the certain hope of eternal life at the resurrection of the just. God's will is always best. It is gracious and good. It is God's will for you. And we find it done for us under every cross we bear. Knowing what Christ our Savior has won for us by bearing his. In Jesus' name, amen. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto eternal life. Amen.